for 30 plus years. I've seen every type of child grow up. Instead of giving me what I wanted, she gave me what I needed, which was truth. Don't let emotions win. Let truth win. Do your very best, and you should have a lot of fun while you do it. And the better you get at something, the more fun you're going to have at something. You moms and dads are wired with everything you need to be a parent to a great kid. Welcome to Parenting Great Kids. This is episode number 120, and I'm your host, Dr. Meg Meeker. Today, I have a really powerful and important show for you. I recently had the opportunity to interview Shalane Maxfield and Chris Yadon from the Unique Foundation. This foundation inspires and gives hope to women who were sexually abused as children or adolescents by providing healing services through educational retreats, support groups, and online services. Shalane Maxfield is the founder and president of the Unique Foundation, which she established in 2014 after she and her husband, Derek, became painfully aware of the long-term impact child sexual abuse has on survivors. They envisioned creating an organization that could help offer resources and services to provide healing, education, and hope free of charge. As president of the Unique Foundation, Shalane guides the overall vision of their work and focuses on the individual experience of those who are directly served by the foundation. Shalane actively presents on both national and international stages with a focus on the hope and healing that are possible for survivors of sexual abuse and a call to prevent abuse. The Maxfields were recognized by Utah Valley Magazine in 2016 and were awarded Philanthropist of the Year. Two years later, Shalane was featured as one of the 30 women to watch in Utah. She is a devoted wife and mother to five beautiful children. Chris Yaden is the executive director of the Unique Foundation. He's previously held leadership positions in the startup, tech, and nonprofit industries. He brings a valuable skill set to the organization and is deeply committed to addressing the epidemic of child sexual abuse. Chris plays an important role as a spokesperson for the Unique Foundation. He's a sought-after local speaker and has also been invited to present nationally and internationally. Chris has been featured across several media platforms where he is often requested to contribute as an industry thought leader and expert. Chris considered his family as his greatest accomplishment. He is a grateful father of six children, three boys and three girls. He and his wife, Christy, have been married for 22 years. Before we get into this interview, I wanted to let you know that this is an adult-centered conversation. So if you have little ones around, preoccupy them with something else. As always, I'll share my points to ponder so you can start using them right away. And remember, parents, Don't just download the episodes, click the subscribe button, because when you do that, you will join my parenting revolution and every episode will automatically show up in your subscribe list. Not only are we on iTunes, but the PGK podcast is available in the Google Play Store and on Stitcher. So no matter where you get your podcast, please subscribe today so you won't miss one single episode. Parents, do you get sick of hearing your kids argue or your kids aren't listening to you? Or do you feel that sometimes life at home is kind of out of control? Boy, I did when my kids were young. I get it. And I can help. Check out 
Discipline with Courage and Kindness on my website. And let's help bring more order and more fun back into your relationships with your kids. And if you go to the front page of my website, I have a free webinar on discipline. So parents, thanks for listening. This is episode number 120. Stay with us. I want you now to listen in on a conversation I had with Shalane Maxfield and Chris Yaden. I know you're really going to enjoy this one, but it is heavy. Hi, this is Dr. Meg Meeker. Welcome to Parenting Great Kids. We have a wonderful show today. It's going to be a hard show, but it's extremely important to talk about. I have a guest, Shalane Maxfield and Chris Yaden, and they are here from Defend Innocence. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for doing the podcast with me. You know, you really do the noble work, don't you? I just love what you do. And you have a remarkable story on how Defend Innocence got started. Can you tell us a little bit about what Defend Innocence is? Defend Innocence is a nonprofit 501c3 public charity. And we educate parents and caregivers on how to reduce the risk of child sexual abuse. Can you tell us just quickly how it got started? For me, I think this all started several years ago when my husband had leukemia. He had a friend that he met there in the hospital when they were going through treatments together. And the closer that this friend got to the end of his life, the more he wanted Derek to live for both of them and do something good with his life. Mm -hmm. And for me, it really stems back to that promise that my husband Derek made to a dying friend. And what year did you start? They really started in 2014. Yeah, we started in 2014. That's when we incorporated, but we started operating in 2015. And you've just grown wildly, which makes us realize what a big issue sexual abuse is, but we don't talk about it that much. Talk about some of the myths that people believe about sexual abuse. Yeah, so some of the myths that are super common are uh, it happens somewhere else and to somebody else. The reality is one in five children in the United States are sexually abused before they reach the age of 18. This means it's happening everywhere in every race, every religion, every socioeconomic uh, class or difference. It's happening in every neighborhood. Mm -hmm. It's rampant. In fact, the CDC released their most recent uh, survey just over a month ago that talks about our high schoolers. Mm -hmm. And they specifically highlighted that uh, 20% of our our girls are being sexually assaulted within the last 12 months of their high school Mm -hmm. education, and 11% are being raped. So that that first myth is that it happens to somebody else Mm -hmm. or some other neighborhood uh, is just not true. It's happening at home. I, I'd say a, col- a couple other common myths are the whole concept of who does it, specifically around strangers. Um, a, a relatively small percentage of sexual abuse happens by strangers. Uh, depending on the study, you'll see between 80 and 90 percent of sexual abuse occurs from someone the individual knows. It's within that circle of trust, that family, uh, those friends, uh, those acquaintances, clubs, things like that. So those are two of the bigger myths. There's a lot more, but those are some of the big ones. It's terrifying. 
It's terrifying as a parent, and I can understand why parents don't want to talk about it because they think, well, that's going to happen to somebody else's kids. And then when they hear that it happens from a family friend or an uncle, that's even harder because they trust those people. What percentage of sexual abuse perpetrated against girls happens from an older person or a a teenager, because I think the one of the myths I've always believed, it's always an older man. You know, you have the 14, 13-year-old girl and a 30-year-old man. So what what is the age range that men, we're assuming it's men, assaulting girls? Yeah, it's a great question. I'll, I'll share some statistics and Shalane can add a few. So let's start with, with who's doing it. So again, it varies a little bit by study, but you'll see between 30 and 50% of sexual abuse is what's considered child-on-child sexual abuse. That's where you have a younger child and an older child that perpetrates. And typically, the average age of the older child is 14. Mm -hmm. And then your younger child's 8, 9, somewhere around there. So that's the most common. And people say, well, is that as bad or is that as hard as the adult? The reality is the answer is yes. Mm -hmm. You know, imagine being a 9-year-old or think back to when you were 9, 14-year-old was king to you, right? Right. They were your heroes. They're who you looked up to. So that trust is still broken. The impact is still the same. So a high percentage of sexual abuse is happening by older children. Uh, Another common myth is that it's predominantly men. And and though that is true, uh, the number of women that are perpetrating sexual abuse, whether, again, child-on-child as an older teen girl or adult women, is certainly growing right now. Against girls? Against both. Against both. Okay. Now, this is a crazy question, but just for our audience, how do you define sexual abuse? Because you've got on one end, you know, older men who may talk, sexual talk to a young girl. And then on the other end, you've got young girls who are raped. So how do you define sexual abuse? I would say that the spectrum is actually quite large. It can be anything from inappropriate comments to exposure to pornography to rape, molestation. There's really a broad range of it. And for us, I feel like it's more about how it affects the child. You know, because one one person might think something is not a big problem and another it might be devastating to them. So it's a huge range. I'll just add that our official kind of definition is anytime a child is forced or coerced into sexual activity, yeah. that constitutes abuse. It doesn't have to be contact. It can be non-contact. Mm-hmm. You know, it's we, we differentiate from things like sexual harassment, you know, a, a cat call on the street. We don't constitute that sexual abuse, even though that's horrific in and of itself, mm-hmm. right? But when when someone in a position of trust, an older child or an adult forces or courses a child into sexual activity, that's how we define sexual abuse. Or sexual talk? Yeah. So, okay. so again, if I as an adult am forcing sexual talk on my child mm-hmm. uh, it, to elicit a sexual response from that child, that certainly would be considered sexual abuse. You know, a, maybe a, a dad tells an off-color joke and it, it's in poor taste, but that's probably not Sexual abuse. sexual abuse, but if I'm 
forcing or coercing my child on purpose into sexual activity mm -hmm. and using my position of authority or power to do that, mm -hmm. that certainly constitutes abuse and can be devastating to a child. Oh, sure. Talk about sexual abuse on the Internet. Because some people say, well, you know, that person can't touch my daughter. Or sometimes they can't see my daughter. So how can they abuse my daughter over the Internet? I think there's just such a broad opportunity to educate people that feel that way. And um, just because a person can't touch your child doesn't mean they can't access your child. Mm. You think about the many ways that people abuse children. It's not just physically, sexually, emotionally and mentally are part of that too. And if they're accessing your child and, um, you know, even though they can't touch your child, they can get pictures of your child. So it's something we've got to be very diligent about, very vigilant about mm -hmm. all the time. This, this is the area that's actually growing the most in, when it comes to sexual Sexual abuse. perpetration over the internet. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, a, a, a big thing that's going on right now is sextortion, and that almost all happens digitally or over the internet, where um, someone coerces a child into sexual activity. Maybe it's I coerce a teenager into sending a nude, and then I use that to extort uh, something from that, that child, money, whatever. So you have things like that. You have sexting. Uh, the other thing to recognize is that even, even the contact abuse the in-person abuse today almost always starts digitally mm -hmm. through a text message, uh, through a chat, a, a chat room uh, on social media. It starts somewhere digitally. Uh, and this is why monitoring and managing our kids' technology and introducing technology at the right time in the right place is so critical as a parenting skill. You know, one of the things that's disturbed me so much as a pediatrician, I've been at this 30 years, is over the past 10 years, I've seen an increase in um, abuse uh, emotionally, sexually, um, through social media to young girls. And I have begged parents, please limit your daughter's exposure to the Internet, and please make sure she's older um, when she's exposed. And that me leads us to talk about the Gab phone, which I know is a, a great supporter of yours. And, you know, the Gab phone, which we have a, a cover right here, I don't know if our audience can see it, um, but it is, it is the only phone that I strongly support, and I'm so excited about it because they work really hand-in-hand -hand with what you're doing because on the Gab phone, kids can't access the Internet, um, so they don't have social media, um, they can't play video games, and parents don't have to worry um, about their kids. I often hear this from parents, well, I don't have to worry about my daughter. She's a good kid. And my response is always, that's the one I worry about because they don't want to say no to anybody. And I read once that 40% of girls who are 14 to 18 have sex they don't want because they don't want to hurt the guy's feelings. That's what a nice girl does. And so the Gab phone protects girls from that. And the other cool thing about the Gab phone is anybody that buys a Gab phone, $10 are donated to you. Yep. And so you are doing such incredible work. And, and um, I, I think that we, we want to support you and encourage you any way we can. Talk about grooming. Yeah. 
So I'll, I'll start just building off what you just said around the Gab phone. So grooming almost always starts digitally. And um, back to your comment about the Gab phone, that's why we love our partnership with Gab, is it puts another tool in the hands of a parent to help manage. So Gab's not anti-technology. We're not anti-technology. You're not anti-technology. It's about introducing technology at the right time and the right place and the right age. And so since so much happens digitally, Gab provides a tool to introduce that first phone, that first experience to ease the child into it. Because perpetrators take advantage, especially of our young children, the access they have on technology. They're trying to build trust with the child. They're trying to build trust with the parent. And they almost always do that through technology. So that building trust is one of the key grooming tools that they use. They also like to single out or, or make a child feel special. Right. Right. And when they single out and make a child feel special, again, often through technology, it gives them power over that child to then move towards whatever form of perpetration they're going to act on. Do you have some other thoughts? Yeah, just to highlight, you said almost always and often. So it's not always the case that that's the only way somebody can groom a child. They can do it in person. It's just we live in this modern age and we have so much technology. It's Children are very accessible Mm -hmm. unless we do something about that as parents to limit their access and um, use things that uh, don't allow them to get on the internet or don't allow them to be contacted by people we wouldn't want contacting them. It can happen in, in homes. It can happen at, um, on teams in public activities, but more likely than not, it is through technology. It's mm-hmm. just, you can't let your guard down just because yeah. they're not accessing technology. So you think about that and, our kids are on, you know, we have seven, eight-year-old kids who have a smartphone that have access to the internet 24-7. So, and my daughter's a teacher. She said, it's really hard to keep phones out of the classroom. Kids can't, um, you know, they can't concentrate. They don't listen to what I want to say. But you think about that, that second, third, fourth grader could be being groomed right when they're in a classroom or they're home, you know, chatting with their friends on social media. And I think that parents miss that because we want to think that our kids can handle the internet, that they can navigate, um, somebody reaching out to them and saying wonderful things about them, but they really can't. And so that's why it's critical if we want to decrease sexual abuse of our kids and we want to have a real impact on decreasing, um, you know, grooming, that we really need to cut our kids from um, internet and social media when they're very young. And I personally don't think kids are able to navigate that till they're at least 15. So that's why this phone is so great because, you know, you don't have to worry about it. Your kids can't get on the Internet. Parents, I hope you're enjoying this conversation with Shalane Maxfield and Chris Yaden. We need to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with more of this conversation. Talk about the whole idea. I think it's very hard for parents to see and um, talk about is the idea that your child could be abused by a friend. I've seen this a lot. 
um, Sally goes over, she's 10 years old, to a friend's house, and she's abused by a family friend, but she doesn't want to tell anybody. Um, how can parents be diligent about finding out if that kind of thing happens and how to recognize it if it happens? I think open dialogue is so important. It's um, when, when we're talking about sex with our kids, it's not this one conversation. When we're talking about consent and boundaries, these are ongoing conversations that we have when the opportunities arise. Mm -hmm. um, not just because the child brings it up, but maybe because something that the parent saw and wants to talk to the child about it. One of the things that we do to make that easy on Defend Innocence is to educate the parents and caregivers there. We do that by little videos called Kid Chats. Mm -hmm. We interview kids and ask them the difference between a secret versus a surprise. And it makes it very easy for a parent to say, hey, come over and watch this for me. It's very kid-friendly. It's very family-friendly. And then you can have a conversation with your child. Has anyone asked you to keep a secret that made uh, you feel yucky? Yeah. Because if, if an adult is asking a child to keep a secret, if it's about a surprise party, that's probably really appropriate. Mm -hmm. But if it's a secret, don't tell your parents or you'll be, you'll be in trouble. That's a red flag. And kids feel that. Kids feel that sense of fear and, and maybe even guilt. So if we're having these ongoing conversations with our children, about boundaries, about uh, tricky people. They're not always strangers. They're mm -hmm. tricky. They're trying to trick a child. It's very infrequent that an adult would need the help of a child. Very infrequent. Um, adults are very capable. Children are learning to become more capable. Mm -hmm. So if we're having these conversations with our kids and helping them understand how tricky people work and if they have a bad feeling, they need to back away from this situation, they can always talk to us when things make them feel uncomfortable. And if we're building that relationship of trust and open dialogue with our children, they are more likely to speak up. Mm -hmm. And if we're telling them, you know, if somebody says that they're going to hurt me, they're not going to hurt me. If, if somebody's telling you that, I need to know. Because a lot of perpetrators will use that that fear or that shame or that guilt guilt to keep a child quiet. And if our kids are constantly being quiet and they don't feel like they can talk to us, it's going to create a much bigger problem. So what I'm hearing you say is that parents have a huge role in teaching kids or in preventing sexual abuse of their child. We often hear that schools need to educate kids. You know, that, that if a teacher tells a third grader, say no if a stranger approaches you, that doesn't really work because kids can be so manipulated and groomed. So I love that you are really getting through to parents to do the hard part of the preventative work. The big responsibility does lie on parents. Mm -hmm. Yes, teachers spend a lot of time with our children, but perhaps we should see them as people who reinforce the values that we're teaching at home instead of responsible to teach our children values and boundaries and consent. There are children, and if we're not the ones educating them, somebody else is going to do that, and they're probably going to get it on media or internet and I would say you can't really trust either of those sources to give your kids the good, strong values that you want them to have. You're going to put them at risk for 
being educated by something that you may or may not agree with if you're not involved in what they're being taught. So we as parents, if we're taking on that responsibility and relaying them to the messages that we feel are important, that we've learned are important, even those uncomfortable conversations, those awkward moments that, oh, we have to talk about this right now. Mm -hmm. We're trying to make it easier for you to do that. Yeah, and what I would say, Meg, to build off what Shalane's saying is, uh, the reason why it doesn't work to have the school system handle it or a church group handle it is these types of conversations need to happen regularly. And there, there's hundreds of them, thousands of them over the course of a child's growing up years mm-hmm. that are necessary to truly prevent. The only one that has that much access to the child is the parent. Mm-hmm. And so... Yes, your your church group can reinforce, your school group can reinforce, your you know, after school program can can reinforce, and they should, and we're fans of them reinforcing. But if they're the only ones talking to your child, let's say about sexual health, your child's not gonna get what they need. Uh, you know, a, a, co- a topic as complex as sexual health needs hundreds or thousands of little conversations from mom or dad or both to that child to help them grow up in a way that that really puts them in, in the best opportunity to avoid not only being sexually abused, but avoid sexually abusing others. Chris, how important is it to have open communication with your kids? Yeah, I think the best way I can answer that question is to actually share a real story from my own life. So uh, I'm the father of three daughters. My oldest, when she was in sixth grade, came home and this is what happened. I was in my closet, I'd just gotten home from work, was putting some things away. She walked in and she said, Dad, what does the word prostitute mean? Right, sixth grade girl. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh, that's, you know, that's an interesting question. And I went on to explain uh, what the word prostitute means. But this, this is where I wanna highlight this important principle. Why did a sixth grade girl feel comfortable asking her dad what the word prostitute means. Mm -hmm. She knew it had something to do with sex Mm -hmm. or was something sexual. Why did she feel comfortable just when dad came home from work asking that question? It's because we had had hundreds of conversations around sexual health before this conversation. Mm -hmm. Now consider the alternative. Uh, She's not the only sixth grade girl to hear the word prostitute on the playground, right? Consider the alternative. If she didn't feel comfortable asking mom or asking me what the word means, and she goes to Google and types it in, that's a train wreck waiting to happen. So I think using that story highlights why it's so important to have those regular, ongoing, uh, little conversations around sexual health with our kids. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Talk about how we approach the idea with our girls of um, giving consent to sexual activity or sexual talk. When do you start that and how important is that? I think consent starts right when they're little. Um, One of the conversations that I had with my little girl, even when I changed her diaper, was sometimes, not every time, but sometimes I would say, I would ask, who's allowed to touch this, mm-hmm. this area? Because I wanted her to understand that mommy can help her when she needs to be clean there. Mommy will be in the room when the pediatrician needs to look there. 
But so she she understands and she has a choice. And sometimes those conversations about consent have blown up in my face. You know, mm-hmm. um, my son had to have a mole removed that I was concerned about. Yeah. And he hates needles. And he threw it right in my face that we always say, my body, my rules. Ooh. And I yeah. it took a lot of coaching. I was yeah. really concerned that it might be skin cancer. And it wasn't, thank heavens. But... Um, just teaching them from a very young age. It's their body and their rules. Mm -hmm. And um, we've been talking about how it's up to us to instill values in our children that we want them to have. And they're eventually going to choose their own way, and that's going to be what it is. But if we're helping them understand that they have a choice. They don't have to cater to someone else's whims or desires. They have a choice, they have a voice, and they can use both. Mm -hmm. And that really empowers them on a on a on a deeper level too. It does. It empowers them to say no to somebody who said something in their classroom or whatever. Do either of you have a good example where how a parent responds to learning about sexual abuse really helped a girl? Yeah. So um, there's a story on our website. In fact, I'd recommend the viewers just go watch it. But mm-hmm. her name's Paige. She she did all the right things in a situation, but was still assaulted mm-hmm. by a young man. She felt horrible. And even though she did everything right, she said no. She she fought back. She pushed on it, right? Um, she felt horrible. She felt ashamed. She felt guilty. Um, her parents responded beautifully. Uh, they validated her. They reinforced that it wasn't her fault. They allowed her to cry. They cried with her. They experienced the pain with her. And then they got her appropriate help. And uh, you'll see as you watch that video, a beautiful example of how a parent responds when something doesn't go right. And um, I hope if I ever find myself in that situation, I will respond as well as they did. It really is a beautiful story. And I encourage anybody whether they have a child who's been sexually abused or whether they haven't, to go to your website and to look at Paige's story and to look at all of you do because the chance that they're going to run in to a girl who has been sexually abused, they need to know what to do, how to handle it, where to get help. So it's a huge resource for everybody, really. Um, Can you just say what her dad did at the end of the story? Yeah, dad did what we refer to as a confront with kindness conversation. So uh, the the person that did it was a teenage boy. It was a friend of Paige's. Mm-hmm. He went over to that boy's house and talked to talked to mom and dad. And, you know, to his credit, uh, he wasn't angry or at least didn't express anger about the boy. His hope was that boy's young enough that if he has a few conversations with mom and dad to help him understand mm-hmm. what happened wasn't good and wasn't right, mm-hmm. that this will be the last time that happens. And so that's a confront with kindness conversation. I think it's a great example of a parent taking charge. And think about the message that sent to Paige. Oh, that's what I was thinking right? about. That Huge. was healing, healing for Paige. Yeah. Just the fact that they were willing to stand up and address it directly. And defend her. They took her side. They did. Kids need that trust with somebody, and that trust comes from 
um, knowing you're loved and knowing that they can believe their parents and that you don't have that with a teacher. As wonderful as teachers are, you just can't have that. And I think I read a study once where um, there was a protective factor for kids being sexually active was knowing how their parents felt about them being sexually active. And the parents didn't necessarily have to say anything, but kids know what you think. You can walk in a room and in 10 seconds, they'll know what kind of day you had. You know, if you see them, if you don't, if you're mad or you're happy. So, you know, kids really feed off of what their their parents tell them. So I love that you're not only working in the healing aspect of girls who've been sexually abused, but you're working in the preventative side too. And I think that's an area that has really stumped a lot of people because we, you know, we think, how can we really do that? But it sounds like Defend Innocence is being very successful in doing that. Now onto my points to ponder. One, don't be afraid to confront. You know, many women who have been sexually abused struggle with fear of telling someone about their abuse. The feelings that come from sexual abuse are intense painful, and they often feel too overwhelming for women to confront. Remember, the worst of the abuse is over, and what remains is your feelings. The worst of the abuse is over, and what remains is feelings. Yes, they're painful. Yes, you may feel shame around them, but it's very important to have the courage to confront those feelings. You've already experienced the abuse. So try not to be afraid of the feelings that remain. When you're ready to let those feelings out or confront them, don't do it alone. You must find a group like Defend Innocence that will guide you and help you. You may find a great local counselor who can help you as well. Two, don't be afraid to see. Many girls who have been sexually abused hide it from their parents. They don't want to upset their parents or feel ashamed in front of them. This means that if your daughter has become a victim of abuse, she'll probably hide it from you. That's why you need to keep your eyes open and intuition ready to recognize signs of abuse. These signs are withdrawal from friends and family, melancholy, fear of sleeping, change in grades, not wanting to be with friends or being afraid to be away from them. So girls can go from one extreme to the other. If you suspect that your daughter has been abused, you must act. Do not be afraid. Do not turn away from your daughter. She needs your help. Even if the abuse was perpetrated by someone you know or very close to you, your allegiance is to your daughter, not the perpetrator. Call a counselor or organization like Defend Innocence and ask how you should proceed. Three, don't be afraid to speak up. If you suspect abuse in a girl, a neighborhood girl, a girl of your, a girlfriend of your daughter's, speak up. If you become concerned that your neighbor's daughter, your niece, or a a friend of your daughter's may be being abused, you have to speak up. Sometimes it's good to speak to a parent of the abused child, but many times this isn't safe. So contact Child Protective Service or a counselor who's well-versed in abuse and taking care of girls who have been sexually abused. The worst thing that you can do is turn a blind eye to the abused girl. 
that girl could have been you or your daughter. Wouldn't you have wanted someone to stand up for you or for her? So be bold and speak up on behalf of a girl you feel might be being abused, even if you're just suspicious of the abuse. Parents, you know that I love answering your questions, but right now I'm taking more time interviewing my guests. I answer questions in another podcast, in my blogs, so keep sending them in to me. You can email me your parenting question to askmeg at megmeekermd.com. Again, that's askmeg at megmeekermd.com. I want to thank Shalane Maxfield and Chris Yaden from the Unique Foundation for joining me on the show today. To find out more about the Unique Foundation, go to Y-O-U-N-I-Q-U-E Foundation. That's Y-O-U-N-I-Q-U-E Foundation.org. So let's recap my points to ponder. One, don't be afraid to confront. Two, don't be afraid to see. And three, don't be afraid to speak up. So until next time, parents, always remember that great kids are raised, not born. Hey, this is Bobby, producer of Meg Meeker's Parenting Great Kids podcast. Thanks for listening. And because of your dedication to raising great kids, Dr. Meg's Parenting Revolution has grown to over 3 million downloads. Head on over to Facebook and Twitter and follow at Meg Meeker MD and check out what's new at MegMeeker.com. And while you're there, sign up for the newsletter to stay updated and get information about giveaways. Don't forget to share the podcast with other parents. Subscribe so you won't miss anything and leave us a review so we know how we're doing. 